Mets Musings is an unofficial, independent podcast covering New York's National League Baseball team. It is not affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball or the New York Mets. Hi, this is Ron Darling. Uh, This is Skip Lockwood. Hi, I'm Ron Swoboda of the 69 New York Mets, and you're listening to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. Happy New Year! Everybody, and we have started the year with a bang as we record this, the Mets deal, or have made a deal for Francisco Lindor, Carlos Carrasco of the Cleveland Indians. Yes, the Mets will be getting Carlos Carrasco, right-handed starting pitcher, and Francisco Lindor from the Cleveland Indians for Andres Jimenez, uh, Ahmad Rosario, Isaiah Green, and pitcher Josh Wolf. This is a big deal for the Metsies. Make no mistake about it. It's a good deal, though I do have some reservations, minor reservations, nothing serious about it my main concern is that Lindor is uh, only signed till the end of the year I don't know what Carrasco's status is uh, but Lindor signed till the end of the year if you cannot sign him to a long-term contract it kind of takes the uh, the uh, uh, blush off the rose whatever you want to call it uh, for me But it is a fantastic deal. They gave up very little, though. Uh, Jimenez proved he he was a major league player last year. Uh, Of course, Rosario, uh, up and down in his major league career, but uh, shown he can play here. And uh, uh, Josh Wolf, excellent pitcher. Don't know too much about Green. Uh, I think he was just a throw-in in the deal. Uh, but the Mets make a biggie. They make a big deal in uh, getting Carlos Carrasco. They needed another starter. They d- accomplished that. They needed. Uh, uh, they didn't really need a shortstop. They could have got by with Jimenez and Rosario for the next 10 years. Uh, but they get the premier shortstop in baseball, and Francisco Lindor. And they give up, uh, shall we say, very little. Again, my main concern is the contract situation. Lindor's going to want a lot of money. Does this preclude them from signing Springer? Because they're either going to have to pay Lindor extend his contract this year or try to extend him starting next year, I should say. And how will that affect them going after Springer? 
especially with uh, Toronto having a a, a big time offer apparently on the table right now. So uh, all of that needs to be shaked out. But uh, um, as of now, let's celebrate. The Mets have made a huge trade, and this is the start. I guess this may be the official start of the Cohen Alomar uh, uh, Golderson era. As uh, yes, I know they signed James McCann, uh, but this is uh, this is a big deal. And I'll tell you what, uh, James McCann's got to be happy too because uh, this takes a lot of the pressure off of him. What do I mean by that? Well, he was the big free agent signing of the winter for the Mets. There would have been a lot of pressure coming to spring training. He may have tried to do too much, being that he was the uh, big guy hired in the offseason, the big free agent. And now this kind of uh, this kind of takes all of that off his shoulders and, uh, you know, puts it on Lindor's shoulders, if you will. But now you've got a lot of offense on this team. I mean, between Conforto and Lindor and uh, uh, McNeil, and Davis is a good offensive piece when he plays. Alonzo, uh, if he can return to his rookie uh, year production. And uh, Dominic Smith out in left field or Nimmo out in left field. You've got some good production on uh, offensive production. And it tightens up the defense. It allows McNeil to stay at second base. Or if they decide to acquire a second baseman, it McNeil can stay at third. They can put J.D. Davis in at third if they wish and leave McNeil at second. That would weaken it, but it would strengthen it up the middle between McCann and McNeil and Lindor. And if they could land Springer, this will be a uh, good defensive team and something that the Mets, as we all know, have not had in a very long time. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Uh, It just, you know, it's this trade and this was a big trade and the Mets pulled it off and kudos to them and congratulations and let's hope it all works out. I think it will. Uh, Lindor is a, a special kind of player. It'd just be nice if they had uh, and they may. They may. We don't know yet all the details. So it would be nice to know whether they have a window of time to try to sign him now or if they're going to forego that and just figure they'll try to sign him during the season or in the off season, or once he comes over, they'll try to sign him. But um, you know they're going for it, and uh, let's hope they're going for it wisely. 
they have a shortstop backup in uh, Luis Guillorme and uh, uh, Ronnie Maurizio, who is 19, I think. So, and he's supposed to be the best in uh, the system right now. So, there are some backups there that uh, they can go to uh, eventually. Glorme is a good field, and he hit very well last year. So, I mean, should, you know, Lindor uh, leave next year or anything, uh, Maurizio would have another year of experience. Uh, hopefully, if we get to play minor league baseball and major league baseball, for that matter. That's the other issue that concerns me a little bit is, um, and they can't worry about this. The Mets, as a team, can't worry about this. But we, or I, as a fan, can worry about it. And, you know, whether or not there's even going to be baseball, we don't know. We don't know at all. This country could be put into another lockdown on January 21st, which would not surprise me, which could be for six to eight weeks. And that would take us well into the baseball season. So we'll be getting a shortened season again. We're going into a CBA. It, it, the next year or two is going to be a real super mess for baseball. We already know the world's in a super mess, so uh, but baseball's going to be in a super mess the next year or two uh, with, with uh, everything going on. Let's just hope they can get the games in and hope that we can go to a game. Other news, because it's been such a while, long time since we've been on the air. Uh, the Mets have a general manager, as you all well know. Jared Porter is the general manager. Let me just check the notes here. They signed James McCann. You know that already. Trevor May signed already. That's all news. How about the coaching staff? Uh, let's see. We've got... Uh, Luis Rojas, as we all know, will be back as manager. Dave Joss is going to be back as the bench coach. Tony Tarasco will be uh, serving as the first base coach with additional outfield and base running duties. Hitting coach, Chili Davis. Pitching coach, Jeremy Hefner. Assistant pitching coach, Jeremy Accardo. Bullpen coach, Ricky Bonas, third base coach, Gary DeSarcina, and assistant hitting coach, Tom Slater, will all be returning to the staff this season. So they the only real changes was Dave Joss and Tony Tarasco, um, and, and that's not too big uh, of a shakeup for a new regime coming in. So uh, players are familiar with them. They'll know the coaches, so... Uh, except for the new players coming in, McCann, Lindor, Carrasco. Uh, we didn't speak much about Carrasco, but let's do this. Let's take a break and uh, find out where the breaks are on this thing. Uh, let's take a break and be back right after this. 
Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com. Wouldn't it be great if you could get a Ph.D. in life through baseball? Welcome to Baseball Ph.D., a tour company for your brain. 30 major league teams, 100 places to see. Let's touch them all as we make the road trip of a lifetime. Check out my Twitter page at Mets Musings one and check out a Facebook group. It's at facebook.com slash Mets Musings. Go check it out and don't forget to call the hotline. It's 516-619-6341. Okay, and we're back. And uh, I've got a great guest today, and I want to get to him. But let's talk a little bit about Carlos Carrasco. Uh, terrific pitcher. Had some health issues last year. I believe he had leukemia. Uh, has been uh, clean. Uh, it's under control. Uh, can't think of the word they call it now. But uh, if he can come back to his old form... He will be a fine pickup for the Mets. So now our rotation uh, looks like DeGrom and Carrasco and Peterson. And I'm missing the other two guys. Oh, Mats. And uh, I guess they'll have somebody fight it out for the fifth star. They still need another starter. Don't think the need is there to go after a guy like Bauer now. That's another thing that this deal does it would it would almost seem to take bauer out of out of the equation keep springer in we need the center fielder but it takes the money um that would have went to a bauer and and maybe give it to an odorisi um uh, and and some other guys <laughs> of course there are there are always other guys there are some other pitchers that are available that uh, are, are, you know, uh, Paxton. That's the guy I was thinking. Uh, maybe even Corey Kluber. They're going to look at Kluber. He's going to have a throwing session. So uh, we will see, you know, how that works out. Uh, but he might be somebody, too, former Cy Young guy and a teammate of Carrasco. So, um, then they may have to bring back Mookie Callaway as the the uh, uh, pitching advisor or something because he had these guys in Cleveland. I'm sure they'll give him a call and talk to him about it. All right, uh, let's go to. I have a pre-recorded interview that I did before Christmas um, with author David Russell. So let's go to that right now. And joining me this week is the author of a great new book. His name is David Russell, and he's written some bios on uh, two guys that I happen to have interviewed, and great guys, Rod Gaspar and one of my favorite people in all the sports world, Tom Gamboa. 
and uh, David's got a new book out, as I said, called Faith and Futile, Faith Too Futile, uh, um, Fabulous to Futile in Flushing. <laughs> David, sorry about that. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, as I said, you, you wrote some interviews with, uh, uh, by, as I should say, with, uh, Tom Gamboa and, uh, Rod Gaspar and, and, uh, funny enough, both of them were on this show. You know, I like talking to some of the guys who may not be the household names and certainly mm-hmm. they're not, but I met covering the Brooklyn Cyclones and he was the manager there for a few years. And he was so funny and insightful and the interviews and he goes yeah i go okay and we wrote a book <laughs> <laughs> and then uh and then rod we we had a mutual after the the first guy did come out and he about funny he goes you know i'm kind of a no-name guy i go i know that's what i want to do a book for he right goes, okay. right <laughs> <laughs> it came out for the came out 2019 nice uh you know 50th anniversary of 69 uh-huh yeah and uh yeah i had him on because i was trying to get as many of those guys on as i could and uh gamboa actually i used to do a cyclones podcast and uh interviewed him um once a year uh but i i would talk to him throughout the year but uh i'd interview him like do a state of the union type of deal with the cyclones and and uh really one of the nicest guys i've ever talked to uh he's a gentleman and and uh i have a picture uh, somewhere uh that uh, we took in in Staten Island at all places and uh i went back to uh, to uh MCU Park when the uh, Israeli game in, in the World Game uh, Baseball Classic was playing Israel right. and Brazil, and he had just joined that the team as a bench coach to help out, and uh, I got him to sign the the, the picture, so I have that uh, in a special place. That uh, you know it was so nice of him to sign it for me, but just a, just a great well, guy, one of the best, and he was able to teach some of those guys how to deal with the wind at Coney Island. Right. He was, he was the expert, you know, pop-ups. Could you imagine now there, Brooklyn is a full-season team. Imagine being there in April. Well, we're going to find out, right? <laughs> <laughs> boy, boy, that's, uh, that's going to be some cold games. I I went opening day on June, I forget what, it was a few years ago. And opening night, and it was in the end of end of june i think june 25th and it was that uh game that went like 20 innings or something like that it was the extra oh. inning game they kept playing and playing and playing we stayed my wife and i and we froze and and that was june so i uh, you've got to bundle up for april and may i guess well, I, this was this was 2016 i remember this see i got to cheat because i was in the press box so i could stay warm ah Opening night, twenty innings, and they lost. The yeah. next day, I actually went to Island to see them play, and they lost ten innings. <laughs> Two nights after that, they came back to Brooklyn and lost in seventeen innings. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was like the, the long weekend from hell, and the yeah. seventeen innings was my game. 
wacky. That remember, was a wacky Nelson start. Nelson Figueroa was there. Nelson Figueroa was there. Mm-hmm. Before the game, oh, you know, maybe this one. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're getting into the 14th, 15th inning, and we're looking at each other, and he's shooting me. He looks like you did this to me somehow. <laughs> 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 well, let's let's hope that uh, uh, this year maybe we'll have a mild April in May, but it should be interesting. And uh, uh, I just might revive that. Pod- I used to do a podcast on the Cyclones, and I might just revive it this year, being that they're going to full season. But uh, but let's talk about this new book that you have out. Uh, it is called Fabulous the Futile in Flushing. It's a year-by-year history of the New York Mets. And uh, first off, it's, it's it's out by Summer Game Books, and uh, you're a lifetime Met fan, right? Yeah, I started. The first game I went to was nine, and like a tiny bit nine. It was really the first year. Of, uh, okay, I guess this is my life now. Yeah. <laughs> Like the rest of us, uh, yeah. But and uh, so you've been suffering uh, with us since then. And uh, tell us a little bit. Of, I'm sorry. They hooked me in with those '99 and 2000 seasons. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how the so heck I, I got hooked in. I joke with that because you know '99, 2000, the two best teams in baseball were the Mets and Yankees. Yeah, uh, maybe the Braves. So you know, two, two and three, and you know, my dad started following in nineteen sixties. The Mets finished ninth in the NL that year. The Yankees were tenth in the AL. Wow, <laughs> I know. I, I, I started. I was following the Mets since '62 when they started because uh, my mother was a uh, big New York Giants fan, and when National League Baseball came back with the Mets, well, that's the way we had to go. Uh, you know, and and it was close to living in Queens. It was close. Once they moved to Shea, that was beautiful. You'd hop on the seven train, and that was it. You know, uh, and and uh, we didn't have that. Didn't have to worry about going up to the Bronx anymore, and because uh, we would go to the Yankee games. I mean, you know, I started watching baseball. I guess uh, went to my first game. It was. 1961. God, that was a long time ago. I'm ancient now. <laughs> but um, so it's been a long time for me. But uh, so tell us a little bit about this book. How did it come about? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, what made you take this direction in it? Well, the only day I'd been kicking on was maybe a book about the Mets opening day games because they have a very unique history of day. Uh, but you could kind of align and see what happened each opening day. So it kind of kept expanding. And the uh, publisher at Summer Game Books said maybe, you know, just do a whole encompassing history, just season by season, just four or five pages each year. And to set it up where you have one section for the off season. And here's, you know, here are the players that came and went. Here's the hype. Here's all the, you know, the predictions. And then, you know, and then what happened in the actual season and some of the fallout. And and usually there's the pattern of they get somebody, then everybody hikes them up. And they go, you know, if everything breaks right, this could be our year. And then the season goes off the rails, and then they bring in new players. <laughs> Rent cycle repeat. 
<laughs> yeah, we know that. Now, here's the answer in third base. Here's the answer field this time for sure. And uh, so, did you have to uh, then go and pitch this idea? And uh, how does that that aspect of it work? No, this is uh, summer game books was uh, pretty good with it very early on. And then them saying, well, maybe if you do the year by year, and I gave them a few sample chapters and they liked it and uh, gave me the contract and then uh, it moved from there. Now, being a young guy uh, and writing about, you write, you cover from 1962 to 2019. Um the, those early years, those thirty years before you started attending games and all, <laughs> what 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 kind of research did you have to do to find out about all of that stuff? Well, you try to watch some uh, videos. I mean, thank God for YouTube and thank God for Baseball.com and the old uh, news articles and old Sports Illustrated articles. This is one of those where, if it was twenty years ago, I probably couldn't have done something like this. Uh, mm-hmm. Both the internet being what it is now, it's <laughs> I joke, I'm fortunate even come to school, getting the book on you know papers with the. I don't know, if, you know, you had to go to the library and get a microfiche or <laughs> whatever you had to do. Right. Yeah, I'm so spoiled by it to be honest, but <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have done this without it. <laughs> and, I still and, work uh, hard, but I, I, I can admit I'm spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> and did it take how long about how long was the process to putting the book together? Uh on and off for a few years. Like okay. that, you know, maybe two two and a half years or so. All right. And uh so as we said, you were a lifetime Mets fan and what who was your favorite player growing up as a kid? Yeah, I think, you know, Piazza was Piazza. The greatest field ever with Ventura and Nordonez and Alfonso and Olerud. Ricky Henderson is uh, you know icon you know, who stole 37 bases when he was 40. Uh, so up and down the roster, it was there that year. This is a very interesting team. Yeah, that was some. That was a great team they had uh, with Olerud and all of those guys and and. Uh, so good to uh, to almost get to the playoffs. Uh, got close, but uh, couldn't make it. <laughs> oh. Ninety nine, yeah, falling uh, falling short against Atlanta in the, in the, in the, you know, the Kenny Rogers ending, uh, but but still a great season up until then. And uh, so, in writing this book. Um, any surprises about anything uh, strike you as you wrote the book? I think the one guy I felt so bad for in researching this book was Rusty Staub because they trade him after the 75 season. Now, 1975, he's the first Met ever to drive in 100 runs in a season, and they immediately trade him to Detroit for Mickey Wolwich. So here, here's you know one of the great seasons in Met history up to that point, and they trade him for a fourth starter. And then a few years later, they sign him back, and he's only 450 hits away from 3,000. And if he stays in the American League with the DH, he probably gets there. Yeah. And instead, the Mets bring him in. They go, go play at first base. And then they turn around and sign Dave Kingman. And they go, actually. 
I feel bad for him reading, reading this thing up. If it wasn't for the Mets, he'd probably be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he should be anyway. Uh, he, he had that kind of numbers, uh, a thousand hits in both leagues. I mean, you know, he did it uh, He did it all for, for in two different leagues, if you will. So, uh, Amazing he, hitter. And if, if you combine the hits and walks, he was actually on more than 4,000 times, which is very uh, rare company. Yeah. Uh, and, and But, you know, he just uh, hasn't been able to get in. Yeah. So, uh, in your opinion, after doing all of this research, um, what was the greatest season other than the championship series and uh, uh, seasons? What to you was the greatest season that they ever had? Well, for not counting '69 and '86, or, or you know, for not counting a year yeah. that they went to the World Series, '84 uh, and '85, I, I think, would have to be up there. '84, in a way, because. They'd been so bad since trading Seaver, and they weren't expected to be that good in '84. And Gooden just burst on the scene, and Davey Johnson was in his first year, and they won 90 games, uh, kind of out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. if the Cubs hadn't traded for Rick Sutcliffe, and he goes 16 and one, the Mets would have won the division. Yep. Uh, so that stands out. And then '85, you know, kind of building off '84 and just falling short and you know because john tudor pitched you know 10 shutouts in one year for example and yeah <laughs> yes, they had a great team too <laughs> those damn cardinals <laughs> uh, 85 and 87 yeah, yeah. And terry pendleton and uh, what about the uh what would you say is the uh greatest game that the uh, that the mets were ever involved in well, I, I think you, you got to go back to Game Six against Boston, right? Mm-hmm. It's tough to go against that one. Yeah, that's uh, you know, and and when you think about it, there's been a couple of great ones. Uh, game Six against Houston that year as well, uh, and and of course the Mike uh, Piazza home run game after nine eleven. I think that that uh, that could be thrown in the mix as well um, as certainly. Uh, uh, Certainly up there. And, uh, and I think the, the game six in Houston, you know, the thing that's amazing to me is uh, they, they had played game five the day before in New York because of a rainout. Mm-hmm. Gary Carter caught all 12 innings, got the game winning thing. Then they had to fly to Houston. And then the next day he caught all 16 innings. Right. <laughs> they don't, he, he slept well, though, after that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I well well not uh, not not on that plane ride home if, uh, well, if the stories are true. <laughs> well, I think he was in the back of the plane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was with the teetotal. <laughs> yeah, I, I've read uh, different. You know, I've read it was thirty thousand dollars worth of damage. And I've also read a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> worth something. of damage. Either way, it's uh, you're talking about very entertaining flight, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, greatest moment, if you could take a moment in all your research, what what, what did you, uh, uh, to your, in your opinion, what was the greatest moment of uh, the, the history of the Mets? If you to choose from, I think I, I'd have to go with winning the World Series in 69, 
Cleon catching Davy Jones, uh, Davy, Davy Jones, Davy Jones fly out, uh, winning that first championship, mm-hmm. and the fans coming out. Yeah, I, I think that's got to be it. Nothing like the first championship, yeah. and how unexpected it all was, and you know, the, the combination of things that had to go right for that to happen. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, certainly an interesting season and uh, an interesting. Uh, 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 playoffs in in that one. Um, uh, now let's take a look at the worst. Which which did you think was the worst season in Mets history? And let's not count sixty two because I think, um, see to me, having lived through that sixty two season, I don't think it was one of their worst. So, uh, but I mean, I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the only thing about 62 is, you know, Richie Ashburn was the MVP of that team. And he always joked, he goes, well, what are they trying to say? It was most valuable on the worst team ever. <laughs> and so they, you know, they, they, they gave him a boat because he was the team MVP. And then he docked it somewhere and it sank. You right. Know, kinda, <laughs> right. You know? I think uh, the, the two that stand out, I, I think 1992 with the, the worst team money could buy. And, you know, all the expectation when they got Bonilla and that was here, they have you know, Eddie Murray and mm-hmm. the team of stars up and down and being so terrible. And and I would also throw in 2009 because you have a break from 06, 07, and 08, still fresh. You're moving into City Field. You have all these expectations. You know, the bullpen was atrocious in 08, and now you signed, uh, you know, J.J. Putz and K-Rod and Sports Illustrated picked them to win the World Series, and, and they lost 92 games. Yeah, yeah. So that was really brutal. And 2017 was a frustrating one. Uh, also coming off, you know, 15 and 16 and the expectations were high and then every single Mets seemed to get in. I, I think Mets fans are, could probably be medical experts now. They know everything about, you know, throwing arms and lats and elbows and shoulders and how much you should be throwing and how fast. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think we're all getting to that point as baseball fans when you're, you know, uh, between medical doctors and becoming scientists with the velocity and uh, uh, the takeoff velocity and all of that stuff. It's it's just, uh, it's crazy. You need to be like in Mensa to understand uh, what's happening in the game now. (laughs) That's right, so, uh, what are you working on now? Anything uh, special? Anything new coming up for you? Uh, always just uh, kicking a few ideas around. Maybe, uh, you know, see if I talk to some, you know, kind of along the lines of Gambo and Gasper. Maybe if I talk to some you know, less famous Mets and kind of just seeing where they are now. I have an idea. Always, always looking around. You gotta get George Theodore in there somehow, you know? The stalk. <laughs> he, he's like a popular guy, but like, um, you know, not, I, I, a lot of people don't know much about him. Or, uh, Benny Ambayani is another guy that I always like, too. Uh, it, it's amazing oh, okay. how, how we have these guys that are, to the fan of a team, you know, these guys are like almost superstars, but in their whole career, they're not really, you know, uh, superstars, but uh, they did some great things when they were on your team and, and how they become like iconic uh 
players for your team. It's an amazing thing in baseball how that happens. They were they were part of Met history, just like the most famous guys were, and you know maybe they weren't uh, as impressive as Tom Seaver or Keith Hernandez or Mike Batson, but they were there. Blow in the orange. That was one of the reasons I wanted to do the Rod Yasper book. Now, so much has been talked about 1969 mm-hmm. and. You know, all that stuff. I go, what if you took one guy on that team who wasn't famous and you look at his life? What happened? You know, you, you yeah, only year of your life. But what happened before and after? Yeah, that's true. Now, uh, with this book, is this the kind of book where you would update it periodically and add to it? Like, keep would you keep, like, did you keep notes on this season in, in the construct? Uh, of the book uh, just so if they say in five years you know we want to update it you could go back and update it is it kind of that kind of thing you could do well it is a book that I, I think could be updated in a few years if you know i could talk to the publisher about that uh, boy 2020 would be a weird <laughs> it would be a short chapter or the shorter chapter yeah it, it should be yeah I, I couldn't believe that last weekend you know when the Mets have less than like a one percent chance of making the playoffs yeah. and they needed they needed all this help they needed the brewers to do this and they needed the giants to do that and they needed the phillies to do this and they had to win games against the nationals but it wasn't going to matter because none of the other stuff was going to happen right. and somehow all the other stuff actually happened and then they couldn't beat Washington. They couldn't beat them when they had to. Well, you know, that's what happens, uh, I guess. And uh, how do you feel about the new ownership taking over? It seems promising. Uh, he hasn't lost a game yet, so that's good. Uh, I watched him, uh, you know, signing games McCann, I thought was uh, doubly nice because one year having an all-star catcher. Oh, yeah. And it was Jerry Reinsdorf's catcher who, you know, Reinsdorf going from buying the team so that was all yeah yeah and then of course the uh, uh new front office with jared porter i don't know if you saw the uh the interview with him yesterday very interesting and and uh seems like a good pick for the team so it, it should be an interesting season if we get to play it or I should say when we get to play it, uh, I read today that the owners wanted the lady opening, but the players don't. So we could be into some trouble there. Trouble again. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I know they were thinking about May. I'm not sure. But, you know, if they could get the fact that they played the 2020 season, uh, I'm, I'm not concerned about 2021. If they can make it 2020, they can make it through anything. Right, right, right. And, and I just don't. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to see the seven-inning doubleheaders again, though. No, no. Well, we'll see them in Brooklyn. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and the guy at second base. So, uh, you know, uh, in extra innings, I should say the man at second. So, for now, we'll we'll see if. Uh, you know, John Smoltz was saying during some game on Fox that, you know, what what if they began every inning with the guy on second? Uh, okay. Oh, my God. Why don't they just give him a run then in every inning and, and <laughs> go from there? I mean, come on, you know? <laughs> just start every inning, bases loaded, and see how good the pitcher is at getting out of jams. That's crazy. Well, we could really speed up and start every inning with two outs and three two counts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, David, uh, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and uh, coming on the show and talking a little bit about the book. And uh, good luck with it. It's been it, it's out there. It makes a great read. It's easy to read. It's it's a short history. Uh, well, it's not sure. It's 358 pages, but it's uh, a, a great history. Like chapter short. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it makes a great Christmas present or a Hanukkah present if you still haven't gotten a gift. Um, so go out and get it. It's called let's see, Fabulous the Feudile in Flushing, a year-by-year history of the Mets by David Russell. Go out and pick it up today. It's available. Well, it's available where? All over the place, right? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, if you you still like shopping in stores. (laughs) If you're allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) And once again. You show off. You get to eat indoors on Long Island. Yeah. (laughs) Once again. Thank you, David, so much for coming on the show. I hope we can talk again in the future. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. Okay. And I'll be back right after this. Okay. We're back, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, author David Russell. I, I really enjoyed the book, and I hope you'll go pick up a copy of it uh, today. Uh, you can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the good bookstores, all the online stores, or you can get it right from him. Uh, so please go do that today. Support our authors. They're what got us through the um, the pandemic last year, and uh, depending upon what happens this year, they may be getting us through that again. And And don't forget, these guys are... Uh, a lot of these guys aren't getting the big uh, advances on their uh, their works, and they're hawking it themselves. They're not getting a lot of publicity. They can't do book signings now because of the pandemic. They can't do a lot of things. So it's up to us to try to help them out as best as possible, and uh, you know, uh, make their books uh, successful. So they can make some more money and uh, write some more books. I did want to mention uh, one other thing. Uh, of course, my good friends at Baseball and Barbecue, uh, you know, always a shout out to them. Go check their out their podcast. And there's a new podcast you might enjoy called BT Talks Baseball. Uh, it's on YouTube, I, th- I believe. You can catch it, but he's on live Every Sunday night at uh, the 365 Sportscast uh, website. So uh, you may want to go check that out. BT Talks Baseball. He had uh, John Malik on and some other good guests last week. He's, he'll have, I'm sure he'll be talking about this uh, trade that occurred today. But I just wanted to get on the air and do a quick show and get... Uh, uh, Get going for 2021 here as we start a brand new season. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank my guest, David Russell, and I want to thank you all for listening and watching. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, CastBox, uh, YouTube, wherever you listen or watch the podcast. Hit the subscribe button. That helps me grow the community and earn new 
listeners. So until next time, remember, keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. And I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Musings.